0: Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. Please visit our website, MediaRoots.org, and don't forget to donate to grassroots projects if you want to see these broadcasts continue. Today, we're very excited to interview Mike Gravel, former Democratic United States Senator from Alaska and a former candidate in the 2008 presidential elections. He debated in the primaries against Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. As Senator, Gravel became nationally known uh, for his attempts to end the draft during the Vietnam War and for also putting the Pentagon Papers into the public record in 1971. Gravel is an advocate of direct democracy and is now endorsing the 9-11 ballot initiative efforts across the country. He says the measure would create, quote, a citizen's commission rather than a government commission, with subpoena power against top U.S. officials to make a true investigation as to what happened regarding the September 11th attacks. Thanks so much for listening to our interview with Mike Gravel. Alright, Mike, why don't we start off Thank you so much again for, for talking to us today Why don't we start off, why don't you give a short intro Just of who you are, for our audience
1: Well, I'm, I'm the f- uh, Former Senator Mike Gravel from the state Of Alaska, uh, rather I represented Alaska in the United States Senate I now live in California With my wife And our little, our little dog
0: <clears throat> Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about Your role in the Pentagon Papers
1: <clears throat> Well when when I first got into the Senate, <clears throat> one of the things I got deeply involved with was the anti-nuclear. I was the first one to to bring about uh, a critique of the nuclear power generation. Uh, after that, I started a filibuster to try and end the drafts so that we could cut out the troop availability for any future president. And in the course of that uh, filibuster. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who had already released the Pentagon Papers to several newspapers, but they were uh, injunctured uh, by the uh, Justice Department from publishing. And so he heard that I was waging a filibuster and called me and asked me if I would read the papers as part of my filibuster, which I said yes. And of course, uh, the, the rest is history. There's a movie out there, The Most Dangerous Man in America, which is about Daniel Ellsberg and and the role that I played in officially releasing the Pentagon Papers through my subcommittee, the Buildings and Grounds Committee. Uh, the After the papers were released, uh, the newspapers themselves uh, failed to publish any further. They What they did is they did publish what they had already been at risk for, because that's what the Supreme Court ruled. It ruled that you could not have prior injunction, but uh, or prior restraint is what they call it, uh, or <clears throat> that uh, the but but if they did publish they would be at risk, and so they did not publish any further than what they had already done. I sought to get a publication house to publish the entire set of the Pentagon papers. Nobody uh, in the United States, no publication house except one would touch it, and that was Beacon Press, the Unitarian uh, uh, Universalist Association. Uh, through their uh, publishing arm, Beacon Press, said they would publish, and they did. Is that what caused a, a a suit that went all the way to the Supreme Court? And uh, at, in that suit, the Supreme Court ruled that a member of Congress could release any information of a classified nature uh, within the confines of the Congress. And uh, of course, that is the law of the land today. That any member of Congress could release secret or classified whatever information to the American people for edification uh, and not be questioned or prosecuted uh, by the executive or any other authority.
2: Um, and Mike is that is that what's known as the the um, Pentagon Papers the Mike Gravel edition the one you're talking about? That's the one that Beacon
1: Press pl- published yes that's the Senator Gravel edition of Pentagon Papers and uh, and then, like I say, in the court case on that uh, held us liable uh, to prosecution for publishing outside of the Congress. but <clears throat> but with respect to the uh, Congress, uh, essentially the Supreme Court opinion was unanimous. Uh, now, that is the law of the land. And that's what clearly must be understood that any member of Congress can now, tell us what WikiLeaks, what uh, Bradley Manning's information has, Uh, it's really very, very significant. This is the speech and debate clause of the Constitution, which really is fundamental to a democracy's survival, because what it means is, if the people don't know what their government is doing, how can it react to the government's actions in a proper fashion? And that, of course, is what is the crux of our problems in governance today.
2: It, it's interesting that you say that, that it, the Supreme Court ruling now made it legal um, to, to go on the, the floor and put some of this stuff on record. And it kind of makes you wonder if, if that's, I mean, obviously that's the case. And so why hasn't there been more Congressional or Senate support for WikiLeaks, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of a mysterious silence, I guess is what I would call it. Yes,
1: it is, and it even goes over <clears throat> to what we're trying to do with 9/11, you know, to get a new investigation. The uh, original investigation was very inadequate, and as a result of that, uh, you know, that's the most important event that occurred <clears throat> in the last hundred years, and we should. Uh, be able to get the government to investigate, but they had an investigation, and it literally was somewhat of a cover-up, uh, trying to push it aside and marginalize it. And since the government has marginalized any effort uh, to look into this, and mainstream media has gone along with this, and uh, and it's really too bad, because uh, it's best to articulate. To- articulated by uh, President Obama's statement right after he was inaugurated. We won't look back. Well, that is probably the most uh, (laughs) worst thing that you could do to a country is to not have any memory of what happened. Because if you have no memory of what happened, you don't know how to conduct yourself in the future. And so Obama didn't want to look back because he's essentially doing many, many of the things that George Bush did that many of us think uh, were illegal and wrong and immoral. And that's what's continuing on today because we won't look back. To, To know history is to be able to project an intelligent future. To not know history means you repeat the mistakes you made over and over again.
0: Absolutely. Like that, like that famous adage, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It is it is appalling, that new um, dogmatic approach that, no, we shouldn't look backward, let's move forward. Well, then how could we ever hold the war criminals accountable and, and repair the standing in the inter- international community for the war crimes that were committed on our watch? So it is, it is a disgusting um, line. And... I completely disagree with it, and, I, and that's when I knew. You know, during Obama's campaign, a lot of my friends were sucked into the to his uh, propaganda. But I just said, look, he's already gone on record and said that he wasn't going to investigate the Bush uh, fam- or the Bush administration. So I already knew at that point how the administration was going to turn out before we go full force into the 9/11 ballot initiative. Um, I wanted to talk to you really quickly about direct democracy and the fair tax, Mike. You were the first person that I heard talking about the fair tax, and it's a really intriguing concept. Um, if you could just very explain. Very Yeah. Well, very much
1: so. Keep in mind, it's not the flat tax. It's the fair tax. Right. There's a difference. Well, both uh, the fair tax is a retail sales tax. And the retail sales tax is as much progressive as it is uh, a income tax, because in the income tax, the more you and the more you earn, the more you pay. With a retail sales tax, the more you spend, the more you pay.
3: Right.
1: Well, obviously, it's it's in the national interest to limit the amount of wasted spending that we do, whether it's by the government or by individuals. Now, the tax our, our tax code is riddled, riddled with uh, benefits <clears throat> to the wealthy and corporate interest, And so if that's the case, and everybody, oh, we're going to have another, we're going to reform the tax code. Well, that's got to be the joke of the century. <laughs> you know, we've been reforming the tax code since we put it into place. And it doesn't get reformed. Reform means that the special interests move in with their lobbyists and get the corrections in the reformation of the tax code that they want. And so you, at the end of the day, you're not any better off. Since that's the case, that there's no likelihood that we'll be able to reform the tax code because it, it, it's, it's a mess of complexity, then what we need is a very simple process. And that is a process where you can tax somebody on what they spend, uh, but not tax, and you don't have an exception to this now, but not tax the, uh, the vitals, the essentials of life. Uh, and how we deal with that is we determine what those are uh, on a percentage basis uh, tied to uh, the average, and uh, we send a check to each citizen at the beginning of the month for the amount of tax that that person would be paying on his food, uh, clothing, uh, shelter, transportation, uh, and medical. And so we'd receive a check to cover our expenditures on that on those areas, but then the rest of it would be uniform. There would be only one tax rate, and you would know what anybody's spending. There's another interesting benefit to uh, this uh, approach, and that is that when wealthy people spend their money, they're not taxed on on the wealth that they have uh, that got sheltered. But under a fair tax, they would be spending when they spend their money, they'd be taxed on what they're spending. So that would be a way of arriving at uh, untold wealth in the United States that benefits the very wealthy uh, and be able to tax that, but. You know this is so revolutionary that you don't see anybody really advocating. The Republicans in the in the Congress, uh, about five or six of them, advocated this, introduced legislation, but they never did anything with it. Never even got it out of committee, which is which is a clear sign that it's uh, somewhat hip, hypocritical to to advocate something and not really bring it about when they had the votes to do it. Now, will it happen in the future? Uh, I hope so, because the uh, since the income tax is progressive in theory, so is the, uh, the fair tax progressive in theory, and we could increase the progressivity of it uh, by simply raising the rate. But here again, it's a complex issue, and uh, Mr. Jane and Joe Sixpack uh, defer to their leadership and don't bother questioning authority, and that's, of course, the basis of why we're in such difficulty today
2: that's a term Joe sixpack I haven't heard in a couple of years <laughs> but that's a that's a that's a very interesting description of of, uh, of the idea and, and I was just curious are there any countries right now that have a similar system of taxation uh,
1: to, not really uh, and and uh, here again I have not made a a study but I don't think that there are any uh, countries in the world that tax on that basis, some have a flat tax, uh, but that's not fair at all. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I don't think so.
0: And Mike, the first time I ever heard you talk about nine eleven was actually during the presidential run up of two thousand eight, and someone asked you a question on camera, and and you made a statement about. Um, that there should be a new investigation. Was that the first time that you went on public record or had you had a public stance before the run-up? Did you already have questions about the attacks yourself?
1: No, uh, that, that was the first uh, instance of it that I can recall. I, uh, r- uh, right uh, on, the, on the days that, of 9-11, you know, I spent three days just in a terrible depressed funk over what had happened, mm-hmm. not only uh, for the loss of life, but more importantly, because of what it would do to the American psyche and the fact that we had this horrible leadership uh, in command of the nation, and all they did was just make things worse. So, uh, and, and I was spending all my time, and I still do uh, to a degree, not so much now because of 9-11, but I was spending all of my time... Uh, figuring out a way how we could equip the people with meta-legislation so that the people would be able to make policy issues and make laws in every government jurisdiction of the United States. And so I've been spending the last 25 years at that. So, and I, and I consider that more important than anything, anything else. In other words, uh, I have an agenda. I'm sure you too have an agenda uh, of things you want to see changed. But our agenda is moot. What we need is the power to effect change. I hear all the time, oh, we've got to inform the people. Uh, you know, Well, informing the people and not giving them the power to make the change is merely creating a situation where they will be cynical as they fail to bring about change. Because the only way we can do it now is through protest. Uh, and the other way is to vote on Election Day. Uh, to give our power away to politicians who do not address the agendas that we think are important. And so the answer is to have legislation that will put forth procedures for the people to act as legislators in all these jurisdictions. These procedures and this whole issue is merely completing the work of the framers of the Constitution. All of the founding fathers said that Uh, citizens should be able to prospectively uh, be able to change their government as they saw fit. Uh, The unfortunate thing is they did not give us any procedures to do that. Mm. So the only way we can do it is through revolution, and that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, Uh, particularly when we have a precedent, two precedents. One in Switzerland in 1848, where Switzerland brought in the people as partners, as as lawmakers, and uh, Switzerland, uh, at that time, uh, had just finished a three-year religious civil war. Swiss, the Swiss have no real visible means of, of acquiring wealth. Uh, they farm on the side of a hill. But since that time, by bringing the people into the operation of government, they've become one of the most prosperous, peaceful nations in the world. And that's the only country in the world that has direct democracy at the federal level. Now, we have it at the state level, but the state laws are somewhat inadequate because they still permit representative government to control the process of the people acting as legislators. What I've done in writing a law called the National Initiative is to provide for the people to make laws, provide for the procedures, provide a constitutional amendment to bring it about, and, and to provide the creation of an agency that will administer the procedures on behalf of the people. And in that way, you have the people as legislators totally independent from representative government adding a fourth uh, check to our system of checks and balances and a fourth system of checks that cannot be abrogated because whenever you have the uh, party controlling the executive judiciary uh, and the legislative branches, It has abrogated any system of checks and balances, which our founders felt was so important to maintain our democracy. And we've seen repeatedly where that's been the case decade after decade.
0: Right. And as we saw, you know, in the NYC CAN ballot initiative in New York, um, they got well over the amount of signatures that they needed and they were still blocked by the city. Um, in the New York Supreme Court, could you could you speak a little bit about what happened and what can we do with the ballot initiative here to make sure that we, we can't uh, or that that doesn't happen again?
1: Well, unfortunately, the ballot initiative in New York, uh, the, the l- legal drafting of it did have some flaws. And when I read the court cases, uh, there's no question that, sure, the judge may have been prejudiced and biased. And believe me, anybody in representative government would love to sabotage any initiative activity that goes on. <laughs> so if you do not, if you're not very careful, you will walk into that bias. Mm. The, uh, the the problem that they had is they were naming all the commissioners. Uh, and, and as a matter of policy, you should not name people by name in initiatives. Uh, it would lead to a lot of abuse. And so that's the reason why they failed. But what they did is they did bring our attention to that uh, that device. And, uh, and, of course, it was easy for me to, to realize that because I had been working uh, years and years on direct democracy. So when I attended a a, uh, a weekend uh, seminar in uh, New York, uh, I, I suggested that what the 9-11 Truth Movement needed, which has done awesome work in research and information, what they needed was an actionable item. Just informing the people about what went wrong in 9-11 is not enough. They're, you inform them and they can't do anything about it. Right. So what you need is, and I suggested then, is we should have an initiative at the state level because the national initiative that I've authored is not in place. If it were, we could do it in 30 days. But at the state level, what we could do is go to various states and file an initiative that would request a, uh, the creation of a, uh, a new 9-11 investigative commission. Uh, that idea seemed to pick up interest and so I was asked to uh, flesh it out and work on it. I did with the Legislative Council in California and in Oregon and developed a text, which is very simple. It's just three pages, and what it sets up is it sets up the state uh, to be the creator via initiative. That means the people make the decision to have a commission, and that this commission will be party a joint powers agreement that other states uh, who pass similar legislation uh, by initiative uh, would tie into, and then it would permit other states that don't even have to have similar legislation, but once you have it in one state, other states could pass initiatives to say, oh, we're joining that joint powers agreement that was passed in Massachusetts or in Oregon. And so we're concentrating our major efforts In Massachusetts, we have already filed it. We're waiting on the Attorney General to to bless it, so to speak, uh, to affirm it. And uh, that will be on the 7th of September. And then from there, we'll be able to circulate petitions in Massachusetts. We need to collect anywhere from 68 to 100,000 signatures uh, uh, to qualify it so people in Massachusetts can vote for it uh, on November sixth, 2012. We want to do the same thing in Oregon and possibly Alaska and California. Now, it would cost about uh, 200 to 300 thousand in Massachusetts to win. That means to not only qualify it but uh, win the campaign. The same amount in uh, in in California uh, in uh, Oregon. Now, California would be a lot more expensive. It would be over a million dollars because of the size of the state. But all we have to do is win in one state. And we've got this process going legally. We would have a legal, because the commission would have the grand jury powers of the state of Washington, of the state, rather, state of Massachusetts, the state of Oregon, state of California. These are substantial powers. You'd be able to subpoena people, put them under oath and then you'd be able to set up an investigative team that would now proceed to investigate what happened leading up to 9-11, what happened to 9-11, and the aftermath of 9-11. And, uh, and of course, there's been an unbelievable amount of work that's been done by scientists, architects, engineers, uh, and, and sociologists, uh, political scientists, uh, theologians, I might say, who have studied this and uh, have written extensively there's a whole body of literature on this subject and that would be at the immediate availability of this new commission they would then go forward independent of government and get to the bottom of what happened and follow the leads wherever they lead and to whoever is addressed and if they can find criminality it will be turned over to the government for prosecution
2: um mike uh I was wondering um what what made you what led you down this path after after you were on video saying that you thought there should be a new investigation um I wanted you to speak to the concept of 911 truth so called 911 truth being the third rail of American politics um it seems like once you go down that road a lot of people you know have ruined their careers over it. Um, like Rosie O'Donnell, I'm, I'm I'm speaking, you know, globally, not just political people or political figures. Um, and what, what do you think about, about that? That there's so many people who probably want to speak out about it or who have the same questions that you do, but have,
0: but the vilifying by the media is just,
1: well, th- that, there's no question about that. Uh, and I well knew that when, uh, when I started, uh, I, I had this idea, I shared it with the truthers, and then they pushed it right back on my agenda since I was the only one that had the knowledge and experience to design uh, this kind of an approach. And and so I knew that once I got involved in it, that I sort of would have a target on my back. But it, But I'm not concerned about that. Uh, after I was public or I was interviewed on a station in Detroit the p- person tried to paint me as a conspiracy nut well that won't stick because I have enough there's enough knowledge about my activities there's enough knowledge of what I've done in the past that people respect me and know that I, I'm not a conspiracy nut so the advantage of my stepping forward now at this particular point in the history of 9-11, by not having been deeply involved in all of the research that took place with 9-11, but deeply involved in a device where people can now assert their sovereign powers to make decisions, then meshing that with the the, the 9-11 truth movement, uh, I think, one gives the truth movement some uh, umbrage uh, in uh, by what I'm doing, and because of my prior reputation. Absolutely. So, uh, they, they, there's no way they're going to stick me with being a conspiracy nut. You know, I've been in the highest offices of uh, this country and know how it works from the inside, and and know that uh, whatever these suspicions are. The government, or more properly, the individuals in government, have the capacity to do that. Uh, I could give you one example uh, that that will—you probably don't know anything about it—and it, it was—and it's—it involved the murdering of more than ten thousand Americans, three times the number of people that died on uh, 9/11, and that took place on. Uh, November uh, 11th, 1918, and that's when the armistice was signed at five o'clock in the morning and it was to go into effect. That means you stop shooting at 11 o'clock. Well, during that period of time, from nine to 11, 10,000 American soldiers in France died, died were killed because their generals ordered them to continue going over the top, charging the enemy, and the Germans were incredulous looking at these people coming with their weapons and firing, and fired back. The Germans didn't do that, but the American generals did that. And so this was a crime that took place, and it was only brought to the attention of the public very briefly, by the uh, mothers and wives of the men who died during that short period of time because they were asking, hey, we all knew the war was ending. Why did they send these people over the top? Well, as it turned out, they had an investigation, and that investigation was immediately covered up in 1919, 1920, covered up because they didn't want to be smirched, the triumphalism of America's role in the First World War. And this goes all the way to the top. Black Jack Pershing knew about this. The generals who did it actually were criminal in their conduct, and that cost 10,000 American lives. So you don't think that there's not a pattern of the government covering up things for whatever reason? And that's, of course, what destroys our democracy, because then the next generation of leaders continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. Instantly, okay. and, and that story I just told you about the First World War is in a book called 11-11 by oh, wow. uh, J- Joseph Serpico, and uh, that, that book never got any commercial legs, and yet it's a crime that's even worse than 9-11.
0: I wonder why it didn't pick up. <laughs>
1: uh, you wonder why? You wonder why mainstream media? It's this. It's this silly American triumphalism that we're so great that that we can't handle the truth. Remember when Jerry Ford, pardoned Richard Nixon, the reason he he gave was, well, the Americans, American people, could not handle a trial of a president. Look forward. Well, you, <laughs> look forward. Don't look could, backward. Uh, that's right. The American people could not only handle it it would help strengthen our democracy.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And so Ford
1: and Obama are on the same page in denying the Americans the reality of our system of governance.
0: Well Mike, thank you so much for your integrity and I'm glad that others can see the elephant in the room which is 9/11 and yeah, you know, we Let can't, me add one thing yeah, that, sure, uh, that's very important
1: is we will not succeed with this idea. Let's say it's a good idea that we should have a new commission, that it should be done in Massachusetts, a reasonable state, and Oregon, two very progressive states. It's going to take money. I don't have any money. The, uh, most of the people in 9-11 are just ordinary folks and don't have the money it takes to do it. It's going to take anywhere from two hundred to 300000 to win in Massachusetts the same amount of money uh, in Oregon and a million dollars to do it in California. But we need to do it. So we need people, two things, ordinary citizens, if they really are committed to this, they should go to our website, which is 9-11 org. There's a place to contribute. We're setting up places to contribute on uh, on Facebook. We need financial support. Hopefully, we may find an angel who can chunk down a large sum of money to let us go not only to California, but to other states across the country. Because mm-hmm. every time we get a state that signs on, it means we have a new geographic area that has subpoena powers uh, to go after people wherever they may be. So the key to success at this point in time is going to be financial support, the commitment of people to want to learn the truth legally. Not mm-hmm. see what the nine eleven movement has done is that they have put forth unbelievable amount of information, which I think a lot of it is very good. Mm-hmm. The problem is is we now need to go through a legal process to exhibit that information and then find out who's responsible for the crime.
0: Right, Mike. I'm I'm happy to hear that there. You know, as unfortunate as it was that the NYC can ballot initiative didn't go through, I'm happy to hear that there is. You know, it's possible for another one to to happen, and it wasn't just um, pure corruption and bias from the judge that shut that out. It was actually some errors and inconsistencies, and, and, yeah, and, and, we, and we've
1: and corrected good. that flaw. Yeah, how, how we've done it. What we've said is that the steering committee of the nine uh, eleven campaign, uh, which would be made up of people from uh, California, Massachusetts, Oregon, and other locales, they will solicit from the public and it says it right in the initiative that the general public can put forth names of people that they should be on the commission. And then this steering committee will sift through these names, hire the necessary professionals to do the proper vetting and investigation, and uh, and, and select these names to be on a commission that would be at least 15 people, more like uh, 21 or something like that. There would be a commission made up of people that are been qualified, vetted, and could objectively uh, render the policy decisions to give guidance to the commission. And so there's no names made. It's just that the process is set up so that the selections can be made.
0: And I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, if you have some more time, Mike, I wanted to talk about your presidential run and just the concept of the game being rigged, um, the two-party system. Here you were running as a Democrat. We have Ron Paul right now as a you know, Republican candidate. And it just seems like if you aren't towing the line of the establishment, then you're shut out, even if you are running um, as one of the two parties. I wanted to see if you could speak about that.
1: Oh, I'd and what love happened to. to you in the two thousand eight? What happened is I was in seven debates, and and what happened was that young people, without my knowing, would uh, assemble the four minutes where I had time to talk, and put it at by midnight. It was on YouTube. Now, of course, Obama and Hillary had sixteen minutes to the four minutes that I had or Kucinich had, and so that was the bias. Of the media, right at that time, but it got worse than that because uh, I was beginning to make headway uh, in talking about that the Democrats were as culp, uh, were as guilty as Republicans in bringing about the Iraq War and the fact that the Democrats supported the military industrial complex as much as, and so the forces that were hearing that, and then of course I mentioned earlier my critique on nuclear stuff. Well, guess what? When September '07 rolled around, and there was another debate on MSNBC. MSNBC is owned by General Electric, so what do you think happened? General <laughs> Electric decided that I would not be in any further in their in the debate on their network, and then the other networks followed suit because they had tried to cut me out earlier without success.
0: Yeah, and the national.
1: So I deve- appealed. Oh, I appealed to. to Uh, Howard Dean, the head of the Democratic Party, he didn't even answer my phone calls. So what happened was a conspiracy between the Democratic leadership and General Electric to keep me out of the debates and start shrinking them down. And so once they had the precedent of me being thrown out, they progressively. But that was before the first five, six months before the first uh, primary now, the others shrunk down after the primaries, but you can begin to see how uh, how it works. The decisions are made by the autocrats of who are elites, who lead our society, who control the government, control the media, and control Wall Street and the military-industrial complex. And so that's, that's where the system is rigged right through the whole process. Now, if I were to run today... Uh, it would only be one person rather than eight, so it would be a lot more difficult. But, you know, I've gotten uh, three years older than I was then, and secondly, uh, I had uh, no mo- no money to speak up. The total campaign with matching funds was $400,000. Well, if we could raise four or $500,000, we could get matching funds, and that would bring a million. We could raise a reasonably credible campaign. But at, at this point in time, I'm concentrating my time on uh, the 9-11, getting that organized uh, campaign, which will have an effect uh, on the presidential campaign uh, in 2012, but not as much an effect if I could get into debates and hold Obama accountable. That's what needs to happen, to hold him accountable for what he does in transparency. You know, he is been five times more aggressive than any other presidential administration in chasing down whistleblowers, chasing down the likes of WikiLeaks and Bradley Manning. That's what Obama's doing. Uh, he has done more uh, ex- exporting people out, illegal immigrants, sending them back to their countries in greater volume than has been done by any other president. I could go on in a litany here with, with the health care there's a debate that I happened to watch again that, that took place when we were debating the health care issue uh, in the 08 presidential election. I turned to Obama and the other candidates and said, what you people are doing are just trying to create a subsidy for the insurance industry. Mm. But lo and behold, three years later, what do we have? <laughs> we have a health care plan that's a, that's a subsidy primarily for the insurance industry. And, of course, it will bankrupt. It will bankrupt our economy because it tax on 30% more cost for this insurance company processing uh, than if we had single payer.
2: It's, um, going back to the... Uh the, the Howard Dean thing a little bit. The, the whole idea that you were actually pushed out of the debates as they went on um, is... And, and you know, people talk about, well, you know, a third party needs to come out and get a lot of support. But what we've seen from that, you know, that example of you getting pushed out of the debates is it doesn't even matter. Even if you choose to run under the, you know, the two-party system, this the system is still rigged to the point where they will push you out. And I wanted I wanted you to speak... About um, you know, I have a I have a little fantasy about the 9/11 Truth movement that maybe there are other politicians out there like you, or maybe who are even currently serving who secretly do believe that we need a new investigation or that there was a lot of foreknowledge about the attacks that wasn't acted on. I I remember Howard Dean actually very early on in his campaign brought up the foreknowledge um, thing. To the press, and it, it was actually asked to Bush at a press conference, and, you know, the Howard Dean s- scream didn't come too long after that, and I was just wondering, could you give any hope to us out there that there are other people like you who are serving that do believe these things, who are just not speaking out about them?
1: They, they do, and they don't speak out about it for the very simple reason that uh, they're, they're, there's no profit to them in speaking out. And I don't mean profit in a negative sense. I mean it in a survival sense. A politician, uh, let's say, normally stepping out on this subject would be excoriated by the media, and then he'd be spending all of his time defending his actions. And so they've learned long ago that don't stick your head out on something where mainstream media uh, is totally bought out and uh, and would would just crucify you. Uh, in my particular instance, I don't think that that's a problem. Uh, you know, I've been crucified before, <laughs> but but it 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 doesn't stop me from using my voice. But you're quite right. What happened with Howard Dean after that, uh, and that whole deal of the scream? Uh, you know, the, the audience did not know he was speaking above the din of the crowd and so all they heard was him screaming but they didn't know the rest of the noise was not there so it made him look like a fool but but you know i i've got my beef with howard dean over not standing up uh, for me as a democrat having my ability to articulate my views in the debates and so he failed in that score but uh, you know all that does is make him a a normal politician, so to speak. But there are people out there that would support if we can just create the climate. And the climate would be created by having a commission that would uh, be able to now investigate and bring the information to the attention of the people. And uh, now, here's the danger if uh, we were successful in going forward with this commission, uh, getting it on the ballot and so forth, well, what the, the, the opponents would do is probably create a new political commission, not a citizen's mm-hmm. commission, but a new political commission, so they could get another level of whitewash right. on it and not address the problems. What we need is really a citizen's commission that can be enacted into law by american citizens in a couple three four five key states and this since now when the government does it they're using your money to do it they're funded they, they take taxpayers money we don't have that luxury we can't touch your money to go ahead and bring the commission about but once the commission is in existence it will be funded by public sources and private sources. But primarily, uh, uh, the problem we face is that that we don't have access to that. And and I think it's just vital that the American people be the ones that create these citizen commissions, this one commission, uh, through the initiative. And for me, it will demonstrate to the American people at the national level, because what we're talking about is a de facto national commission, that will be brought into being in various states, that it will inform Americans that, hey, if you can do this at the state level, just imagine what you could do at the federal level with a national initiative empowering you to make laws uh, in partnership with your elected officials. Now that would change the nature of human governance, and that's what I've been working on for the last 25 years.
0: Absolutely. I mean, people are so disillusioned and disempowered with the system, and this is the perfect example of how we can all participate and really, really make change at the community level. Let me suggest the,
1: the website. That sure. That would, there's, well, first of all, let me repeat the website yeah, for go people ahead. to donate to 911. That is That is 9-11cc. Dot org.
0: And it will be on the SoundCloud timeline. If it, this whole interview will be on a SoundCloud timeline, and people can Great. look at the okay. link right the now. Other,
1: if you want to learn more about direct democracy and what I've been doing for the last generation, is to go to N I number four D dot U S. That stands for the National Initiative for Democracy, or you can go to nationalinitiative.us, And you'll have you can vote there for the National Initiative. We need the votes of over more than 16 million Americans voting in the affirmative for this law. There's no easy way to empower the people. There's no easy way to overcome the shortcomings of our framers of our Constitution by leaving out the procedures for the people. There's no easy way to do it, and the way to do it is not, and we use as precedent Article 7 of the Constitution, which says that when the conventions of nine states enact this amendment, or ratify this amendment it becomes the law of those nine states we don't have to do it by convention we don't have to do it with just nine states we have the technical ability today to ask all americans do you want to be empowered to make laws mm-hmm. if you do go to this website and vote to enact the national initiative
0: Right, and people who just vote in a federal election and just put all of their hope and change, uh, no pun intended, into the federal candidate and, and think that that's going to be the answer. This is a way that your vote can actually make a difference. This is how your vote can count um, oh, by participating in vote. this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to vote on uh, policy issues for citizens yeah. than to vote on a, for a person who you don't know what's in that person's mind.
0: right. And, and he
1: may tell you what's in there, but he's telling you what you want to hear, not necessarily what he believes.
0: Mike when you were running against Obama did you know did you have an idea at the time how disappointing his presidency would be? Um, I'm pretty sure at that point in the game you were pretty uh, you know acutely well, aware of yeah. how of how politics worked but I mean it just seems like he's just so... It couldn't be any worse. I mean, it's essentially Bush's third term when you're looking at foreign policy and the war on whistleblowers and the amping up of the, the, the drones and um, the Afghanistan war. Did you have a feeling at the time that this is how things would go? Abby,
1: <clears throat> the moment I shook his hand, I felt that he was a bit of a phony. and uh, <laughs> and, and yet... After I got thrown out and the, uh, it went down to McCain and Obama, I voted for Obama. I thought McCain was certifiable. And, uh, and yet, and I was excited that he got elected, like everybody else, even though I intuitively knew that he was a phony. Uh, I, I Like everybody else, I'm an optimist, and I had hopes that maybe he'll change. But not only did he not change, what you see is Obama, who he really is. Mm-hmm. Do not listen to his words, because he, he's he's like a siren uh, with Ulysses. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he says he says the right words, but they mean nothing with respect to his actions.
0: While America crashes and beach. No, oh, they mean nothing,
1: <laughs> nothing to to the reality of the situation. He, here, he's now paying a little bit of attention to the black community. Just now, after oh, now, three yeah. years.
3: Yeah, yeah. After
1: three <laughs> years, he's finally woke up that, oh, there's problems in the inner city. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is tragic. When, when I debated him uh, in Washington uh, at the university, uh, I raised the issue. If you want to do something for the inner cities and the black community, legalized marijuana and legalized drugs.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And, and that
1: will solve the problem. You can take them out of jail. You can now give them an opportunity to really flourish. But no, that's he never lifted a finger. On, in mm-hmm. fact, it was worse. He appointed mm-hmm. a drug czar, and they continued the policies worse than Bush, worse than Bush. And, and,
2: and you're also- quite
1: right when you said that uh, it's, it was Bush's third term. It, I prefer to use that Obama is Bush light and yeah, yeah. In, in many respects Diet more Bush. dangerous because he makes such a uh, such a great speech. Right. Just listen to Cornell West, the black professor uh, from Princeton, uh, who uh, is excoriating uh, Obama and very accurately and properly. So, Um.
2: One more thing I wanted to ask you about, Mike. I, I was just thinking about this, or I just remembered this um, while we we're talking about the ballot initiative. Were you um, involved in, or were you present during the the um, like the sequel, I guess, to the Warren Commission? I remember reading that in the in the '70s they actually uh, did a new JFK assassination investigation. And were you? Do you know anything about that, or do you know what came out of that? Well,
1: no more than I was in the Congress at that time. And this was a House committee that uh, called, brought about this new investigation. Uh, whenever there was a new investigation with respect to the Kennedy assassination, new information was brought out, that disputes the disputes, uh, the information that was pre- presented or that was not presented with the Warren Commission. So there's no question that that was a hurried effort, again, the approach is, oh, the American people can't, un, can't handle these <laughs> truthful investigations or problems. You know, we got to treat them when this is essentially the way we are treated. We are treated as adolescents right. by our government. And, and we act like adolescents. Oh, we want this, but we don't want to pay taxes. We want that, but we won't pay taxes. Well, that is adolescent behavior, and that's exactly uh, the way we are. Now, if we want to change things... Give the people responsibility to make laws, and they'll grow up in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And they will have not adolescent behavior, but civic adult behavior. And so the answer uh, to your question is is really direct democracy. Bring the people into the process, whether it's an investigation. And all of these investigations that are done by government are always limited because the code within... Politics is you don't dump on me when you're in power, and I won't dump on you when I'm in power.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a conspiracy of protecting uh, the oligarchs.
2: Um, I remember reading about that that second investigation by the House Committee um, that that some they brought in some sort of audio forensic expert who showed evidence that there was there were more shots fired than Oswald, Oswald could have possibly shot. And I, and I guess what I'm wondering is if they actually brought out evidence like that in a congressional hearing, um, that's so revealing and so heavily debunks the official story, you know, what, what happened with that? Did we, I mean, it seems like there wasn't nothing. very much media coverage. Yeah, it, that's what it, <laughs> I was going to say. And the,
1: reason, and the reason why nothing happened is because it's all handled within the bowels of the government. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as I just pointed out, there's a conspiracy in the operational government by Democrats, Republicans, that uh, we, won't, we won't damage you too, too much. We just want to damage you enough to get elected. We won't damage, we won't send any of you to jail. <laughs> we won't prosecute you yeah. for the crimes you did while you are in office. That's the code. Democrats won't prosecute Republicans. Republicans won't prosecute Democrats. And so in order to make that work, you have to throw the blanket over it all. Or it may creep out and be discovered and you may get a week of news on it. It's a little bit like that action uh, back in 1918. <laughs> that, that Hardly anybody knows about that. And and yet, we lost more Americans in those six hours than we lost uh, on 9 11.
0: And going back to what you said, Mike, about being shut out of the debates, uh, the National Democratic or Democratic Party claimed that you hadn't met certain fundraising and organizational standards, which is hilarious in itself, because what, so you have to be raking in millions to even be present at the debates? I mean, (laughs) it's such an absurd (laughs) thing.
1: Abby, you're right. You're right. Well, it wasn't that the the Democrats didn't advance that. That was General Electric. uh, And how we found out it was General Electric is I had a friend (laughs) who was in New Delhi. And when they cut me out of the debate, he sent an email not to MSNBC. He sent it to General Electric. Oh and God. so the PR person who should have had his brains checked uh, sent, did not send the communication to MSNBC to answer. He answered himself. and He said that, well, Senator Gravel has not raised a million dollars. Senator Gravel has not been in New Hampshire. I had rented a house in New Hampshire, so the so it was outright <laughs> lies. But but now keep in mind what uh, what what we're saying is that a corporation, one of the largest defense contractors in the United States, the largest promulgator for nuclear proliferation, uh-huh. General Electric, said that I did not meet their criteria to run for president of the United States.
0: Unbelievable. Is now that, that <laughs> unbelievable? And yeah. we
1: get the emails. We get the emails. That Now, let me, let me give you the sequel to that so you'll know how bad things are today. Melt was the head of General Electric, still is, okay? Uh-huh. He, he has been appointed by Obama to be in charge of uh, keeping jobs in the United States. Now, here's a company under his leadership that has exported more jobs out of the United States than probably any other company in the United States. And Obama appoints him to that position. Well, what is that position? I'll tell you what that position is. It's got nothing to do with jobs. It's got to do with ML raising untold of corporate monies from corporate society to help Obama get reelected president of the United States. That's what that's all about.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It, it, it's so Orwellian now. I mean, it, you see Obama like hiring the worst people possible for these positions in his administration, lobbyists from Ray, Raytheon and Monsanto lobbyists <laughs> yeah. to run the agricultural department. It's like, is this a joke? I mean, it's just so in your face and blatant. Mike, when when did you just say, I'm going to run Libertarian? I mean, well,
1: after they threw me out, I yeah. was looking for another place to see. The reason why I ran was not so much to be president. Right. I was running to educate the American people about the uh, the direct democracy. That's the that's yeah. the answer. Me being president or anybody else being president is not the solution. The yeah. solution yeah. is to empower the people to be able to make laws as proper citizens. But what happened in a campaign, I would raise it. Nobody would ask me questions about it. The media went on to the issues, the wars and all that. And, of course, I'm like anybody else. I get carried away with these issues. And so I responded to their questions. They weren't asking questions about what I really wanted to communicate, which was direct democracy to empower the American people. So that's the dynamic that took place. Now, the dynamic that would take place now would be a little different because there'd be only two people involved. And, and Obama, you know, who says, well, you know, I can't uh, get the Congress to go along with my, uh, that's, that's foolishness. Let me tell you, if we had the national initiative in place, a president could turn around and take the agenda that he cannot get through the Congress, because the Congress is just as bad as the executive, cannot get through the Congress. He could then go over the heads of the Congress and offer that agenda to the American people to make a decision on. That's what could happen, but 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 obviously that change would be so radical to the control that presently exists by Wall Street, the military-industrial complex, by by corporate America that presently controls our society and our culture.
0: Absolutely right, Mike. Uh, couldn't agree more with you, um, Robbie. Did you have anything else to say before we close out here?
2: Yeah, I had a I had a um, a question to ask about one of your. I I would, I guess I would call him a spiritual colleague because I don't know um, if he's, if you guys are friends, but, you know, you always seem to come up in the same conversations with, you know, that person being Dennis Kucinich, who shares a lot of, you know, the same beliefs that you do. He's very outspoken. And I guess I've always wondered and was wondering if you were curious (laughs) about what kind of conversation took place on that private Air Force One ride that Obama took him on um, when he refused to you know, vote for the health care package. Um, and I just thought that was very interesting that, you know, even someone like him um, would change their vote the next day. And I was just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I could. Uh, I, I First off, I like Dennis. I think he's very courageous. But uh, Dennis, uh, first off, I tried to sell Dennis on the national initiative and in empowering the people, and, and he really didn't grasp it uh... but uh... but what happened uh... is that he's an elected official and so when push comes to shove he wants to protect his ability to be an elected official now what it, he rationalizes it properly so saying well if I get a subcommittee i can hold hearings and reveal information he can do all of that but, but here too uh, he can only do so much because when push comes to shove they can threaten him with throwing him out of the party, uh, and he would have nothing. Uh, he would be he would be treated essentially like Ron Paul. Ron Paul is a, a congressman, but he's not a congressman with any power within the Congress. He has power by his speaking to his people out in the general public. But here too, uh, Ron Paul has uh, you know has got a problem. He's a constitutionalist. He's not. Uh, he's not a great believer in the American people, uh, and it shows. But he's good on the war, uh, and, and so a lot of people get carried away with that. Well, there's a deeper process than that. It's the whole process of governance, and you have to recognize that all people can do on election day is give their power away to politicians who tell them what they want to hear. And, and after they are in office, they continue to do the same old, same old. And, uh, and so people, as a result of that, become cynics. You know, I vote Republican, nothing good happens. I vote Democratic, nothing good happens. I go back and vote Republican, nothing good, and back and forth. And then you get to the point where people we'll say, why the hell should I vote? Why don't I just worry about my family, educating my children, getting a job? Uh, watching television, watching sports—that that we've made cynics out of generations of Americans as a result of their not being able to participate uh, in their own governance. Uh, Cicero had a great statement that uh, uh, that uh, what's uh, that was brought to my attention, and it was goes like this: participation, freedom. Is participation in power. Let me repeat: freedom is participation in power. If you don't participate in the power that governs you, you really don't have freedom.
0: Beautifully put, Mike. And just to close out here, um, what can people do in other states? And what can we do other than donating to help out and get, you know, get on the ground and really help make this happen? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first off, donating, but also when you go to the website, it's an educational tool. We're putting up information. We're putting up a lot of uh, areas that you can link to and go find out more about what happened through the voluntary studies that have been made by qualified individuals as to what happened to 9-11. So it's an educational process that you're exposed to, but we go back to the simple point that just becoming informed is not enough. You have to be able to act on that information, and that's what the initiative process is all about. And your ability to act on that information is our ability to raise enough money to get that in front of you legally so that on election day, you can vote for an initiative that will empower you to have an investigation that will now bring you to the truth. And as that saying goes in the Bible, the truth shall set you free.
0: And on, that, and on the website you've given, are there tools for people to, to do all of these things and to kind of follow Oh suit yeah, this, this, okay. the, the
1: site is being expanded all the time. Great. Blogs, information. So it's a, it's a dual purpose. We want to expand the knowledge of the 9-11 Truth Movement to all Americans. To all Americans. And then we want to set up a process so that it, we have an actionable item, and that is where people can vote to create a commission to bring about a citizen's investigation of what went on and not a government-controlled investigation.
0: Absolutely. Mike, and just to give you some background of who I am, I um, I was involved in the San Diego 9-11 Truth uh, organization for since 2006, and I actually participated in the Citizens Grand Jury for... Um, you know, just a citizen's investigation of the attacks there. Um, so I've been in the movement for a while. I've respected you greatly, and it's an honor to, to talk to you, Mike. Um, thank you uh-huh. so much for what you're doing, and just well, keep thank it up. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you, too, for what you're doing. It's, that's, that's the beauty of it. We're all citizens acting Absolutely. as
0: citizens. Absolutely. So
1: th- thank you, and, the, and I appreciate what you're doing and, and providing the help, because we're at a stage it's a good idea but if it doesn't have the financial legs, it will just be another good idea that's long forgotten.
0: Well, hopefully, uh, we all pitch in and the truth sets us all free, Mike. Thanks for Thank your you. work and have a good day.
2: Uh, thanks, Thank Mike. You. It was Thank an honor you. to talk to you. Have a good one. Thank you both. Thank you both.
3: It's not easy to be. 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 Uh oh.